You're listening to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. My dad has had big conversations with other people around the world and here in Geneva. He loves it and he's all crazy about it. Remember to have fun listening to it, the Rodolfo Rivas Project. The FTA that Colombia had with the Republic of Korea. And um, it was fascinating seeing how different uh, a Latin country could be from a an Asian country and uh, and and yeah I, th I think we, we had very difficult negotiations with them uh, but at the end you, you could really see how collegiality arose and uh, but it all comes from a place of understanding the other and uh, being able to listen to the other and also being able to respect differences and uh, allow differences to exist while searching for a common ground yeah. and, and you see that here also at the WTO you know we, we, we are a very diverse group of people coming from very different cultures and one of the biggest uh, assets this organization has is precisely that that you have people that, that are able to have um, points of views that are informed from, for, uh, with so many different backgrounds yes. and that's something that is um, sometimes also undervalued yes. uh, but uh, but that's also the key of any of any group of nations coming together you, you need to have a balance between finding a common ground but also accepting that you might have different point of views that was Juan Pablo Moya a dispute settlement lawyer at the World Trade Organization. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Welcome to it. I have known Juan Pablo for some time, since we run in the same circles, and we have many common friends, but we only really had time to talk recently. We have a lot in common, and I cover much of it in this fun and insightful conversation. However, we only got to some of it. Juan Pablo is an economist and a lawyer. But as he tells it, his brain works more like an economist. Like many Colombians, he got his trade he got his start in trade through the Moot Court competition. He talks about his experience in the Moot Court and how he stayed involved with it afterward. This led him to a stint working in Colombia's Ministry of Commerce, Industry and Tourism, where he worked on disputes and FTA negotiations. Afterwards he traveled to Georgetown University for an LLM which eventually brought him to Geneva and the WTO. Ah, there is also a story about how he got to New York for his bar exam. It was a great conversation and it was great to talk to Juan Pablo. I hope you enjoy it. Subscribe, you won't regret it. The views, thoughts and opinions shared in this conversation belong to the individuals sharing them and do not necessarily represent the views of their employers. The Rodolfo Rivas Project is available on all major platforms or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Please help by spreading the word, recommending us to your friends or enemies. A small act like liking, subscribing, and or reviewing is greatly appreciated. Thank you.
Thank you for accepting my invitation. I'm really thrilled to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Rodolfo. I'm most welcomed and uh, yeah, thrilled to, to be part of this uh, series of uh, podcasts. Like many, many Colombians have appeared. Like you're <laughs> yes, I one know. in a long list of Colombians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw you recently had Santiago. Yes. And uh, I don't know who else have you had. So I've had, and many you probably know, like I've had uh, um, Mauricio. He oh, was yes. One of my first. Mauricio. Yeah. Well, and actually, that conversation, I, it's one of my favorite conversations so far. And the ambassador uh, that was at the time of Mauricio. Ah, uh, okay. I think Ambassador Rodriguez, if I'm not mistaken. <sighs> I cannot remember the name, and now I feel terrible. But, but anyway, there's yes. been many Colombians. Yes. Even, even more than Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad to talk to you. you. You said you wanted to make a disclaimer before? Yes, sure. So uh, just to clarify that the views that we discuss here and that I express are solely mine and they by no means uh, are intended to depict the views of uh, the World Trade Organization. Um, I work there, so perhaps that, that's a good segue into, into the conversation. Uh, I've been working for the past, I think, eight years now eight years. at the WTO uh, with the Legal Affairs Division, basically assisting panels and arbitrators in disputes before the WTO. And yeah, it's been a fantastic run. It's been very interesting couple of years, particularly the last uh, few years, um, and, uh, and yeah. Okay, I mean, uh, thank you for that uh, uh, disclaimer, I think that sets the, the tone, but before getting to that point, like, I want to learn a bit about you, like you are originally from where in Colombia? So I'm, I grew up in Bogota, but my, from my mother's side, they come from a town uh, by the River Magdalena in Colombia. So while growing up, we spent a lot of time there because my grandfathers lived there. So, so yeah, I, but I grew up basically in Bogota. I was, uh, I went to, to high school, to elementary school there, and then to, to university there too. Um, yeah, you, so you're, you're a lawyer, so you, you went to law school there? Yeah, so, so, so that, that's, that's also something interesting to, to share. So yes, basically I studied law, but I'm a, I'm a typical lawyer, in, at least in Colombian terms, because most of uh, lawyers sometimes decide to go to study law because they don't like numbers. Yeah, because yeah, that's, that's a common one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's particularly, in, especially in Latin America. Yes. Uh, but I, when I You're was... You're a lawyer that likes numbers. Huh? <laughs> You're a lawyer that likes numbers. Exactly. So, <laughs> so actually, be, before going into, into uni, I, I had this... Um, I didn't know what to study, actually, because I, I wanted to do law, but I also wanted to do something different, because I was very good with numbers. I was... Uh, good in calculus. I, I didn't want to lose that. So at the end, I ended up uh, doing a double major with economics, which at the end ended up being a master's. So basically, I, I graduated with uh, an undergrad in, in law from uh, Universidad de los Andes. 
and from a master's degree in economics from also Universidad de los Andes. And, and that's, that's also part of the reason why I ended up in the field of uh, international economic law. It is like a, like the natural thing. But before that, like what, was it a personal interest or was it some family influence that you, you decided to pursue like law and economics? No, I think it was basically family. My, my father was a lawyer and uh, I think I, I enjoyed seeing him work. Uh, he practiced for a couple of years and then he moved on into, into a company and actually a Swiss company based in Colombia. And, uh, and he always told me, look, he studied law because it's very, um, you versatile. can do, huh? versatile. It's exactly, it's versatile. So if you don't like it at the end, you can do something different, but it will open the door. So I, I kind of like the idea, but I also was very much in love with argumentation and logic and rhetoric and, uh, and it was a good fit. I, I did enjoy it a lot. But I also enjoyed a lot the economics part of everything. And while studying, it, it, was, it was so forthcoming the disconnect that there is in between the disciplines. And that you can see actually in the day-to-day -day, uh, professional life of many people. Like sometimes it's very difficult for lawyers and economists uh, to communicate. And uh, also between lawyers and other disciplines, because we are trained and ba basically each discipline has its own way of talking and seeing the world. Okay. So bridging that gap is difficult. Um, the, also the areas of studies are very difficult, very, very, very different. Um, so yeah, it, it was a challenging experience, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, and, and certainly up to this day, I've been able to apply those skills here at the WTO too. Yeah. But when you were starting, like, did you, I mean, you had these two complementary interests yeah. and also expertise. Like at that point, did you already see yourself like with a potential career like in this field? Like you already saw it back then or that's something yeah. that evolved? Not at all, you know, I, I've met people who have told me, look, since I was in high school, yeah. I wanted to come to Geneva and work either at the UN or at the WTO. And back then, I didn't even know Geneva existed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely agree. It was not in my plan. And I didn't even know. Like, I, knew they had, I knew they had chocolate and banks and watches. That's it. Like, I had no idea that yeah. it was not even crossing my mind. Yeah, no, it's uh, certainly at that point in time, no. And, and let alone WTO, you know, yeah. the, uh, WTO is quite prominent now. But back then, particularly in Latin countries, it was not something fairly common. Uh, and, and you know, the whole banana saga of Latin countries, but that was a very specialized kind of a dispute that not so many people in, in Colombia or in the surrounding countries were very much aware of the existence of such an international organization. And so, no. So actually, um, how I ended up here in the trade field was because of uh, the El Samud court back then, 
which now is known as the John Jackson Moot Court, Memorial Moot Court, something like that. Yeah, actually, a couple of guests have talked about how transformational their Moot Court experience was. Can you talk a bit about how, how this was for you, this process? Yeah, so, um, so I, as I said, I, I like, like lawyerly debates and uh, um, rhetorics and certainly the Moot Court component had some attractiveness to me. Uh, and back then, what was very, very known was the Jessup. Uh, but for me, that wasn't so appealing because I wasn't that much into public international law back then. Um, and especially because of my, at that moment, my training in economics, I wanted to do something closer to the economic field. So I was never really um, into it. We did have a mood court in, in the... Um, international law class that I took uh, when I was having my undergrad and it was a fantastic experience uh, and, and, and I just perhaps got a bit enticed to doing something like that but it was only I, I still remember it was back in, in summer of 07 uh, we were on holidays and they sent an email to to um, from the law school like saying hey there's gonna be this new class that's gonna be offered it's a mood court preparation for WTO law which is and they basically had a small explanation of uh, law and economics so I said oh that's that sounds crazy you <laughs> know so there's economics and there is the mood court angle so yeah let's do it was this uh, the first year that they were doing it in your philosophy? Uh, yes, it was the first year really? that they were doing it. I think they were celebrating, like, they were celebrating something at, the, at my law school. So they wanted to have this mood court as a okay. way to celebrate. And, uh, and yeah, since then it's been basically trade law in my life. Uh, um, well, I guess you, in, in your podcast with Santiago, you, you explore that. So we, participated in the same team. Uh, we had a fantastic uh, uh, experience and, uh, and very interestingly, all of the people that were involved in the team, including our, our coach, have had something to do with the WTO yeah. at some point in their lives. Well, I work here, my coach also works at the WTO. Um, well, Santiago was uh, ambassador uh, Colombia's ambassador to the WTO and is now moving into the WTO so that, that's, that's also crazy. <laughs> uh, there was also uh, uh, Mateo yeah, who also works here yeah. and the, the fourth uh, one was Jose. Jose uh, worked here for a while like ages ago and then he decided to move into different areas. So it was super formative, it was a great experience uh, uh, but again, I think back then I didn't see myself working at the WTO. Even after we had won the whole competition, um, I felt that I wanted to perhaps do something different. Um, but uh, but I, you know, it, it, there's something like a recommendation for people currently studying. A mood court is 
one of the greatest experiences you can have yeah. as a lawyer. Actually, well, not not everyone has a success story like everyone in your team yeah. did that can manage to get into the Twitter world. But what I usually say, and I don't know, maybe you can shed a bit more of light on this, is that regardless if you work in this area, like the experience itself, like the learning a body of law, uh, actually l working with colleagues and ex like it can serve you in any field that you wish and not even specifically law. Yeah, that, no, that, for that's sure. the advice that I give is like you want something because I think that the moot court experience bridges the gap between the academics, what you learn and a bit of the practice that in many law schools, sometimes it's not you're not pro afforded this opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's it's not only not being afforded, but you're not aware of its existence also. Um, and and certainly it's it's not only it's not only about winning the competition, yeah. but it's uh, mostly about what the skill sets that you end up having, particularly speaking in public, thinking on your feet and uh, being able to 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 persuade yeah. and to convince some somebody or a group of people and, and that that was a fantastic experience and and um so for me also uh, I, I i got to see both sides of the coin because after i participated in the mood court i became a coach yeah. and uh and I got to see basically my first year coaching we lost, but we lost like, oh gosh, it, it was it was super devastating because we, we were coming from a super strike streak of uh, winnings at law school. And uh, when the, my first time coaching, boom, we just lost so badly. It's like and the, like uh, the dream team. <laughs> <laughs> coming from the dream team, yeah. we just went completely, completely like, we, we ended up, and I kid you not, like we, were, we ranked like 19 out of 20 teams. So it was horrible. But the students that I coached have the best recollection of that experience because they were able to apply all those skills afterwards. And, and they really saw how they could handle things differently as compared to their, to their peers when they went to work in a, in a law firm or professionally. So yeah, I know it, it, it was a fantastic. Yeah, so that, that's really good that you bring that up because it's not about winning, it's about the experience and what it teaches you. Like it's, it gives you tools that you can use in any field, not even yeah. like legal exclusively. So the people that you coach like now are still like working in trade or not? A no, they're not doing trade. Uh, they're doing different stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, but the, I do remember distinctively when they talked like, yeah, they, they were super happy about the experience. Uh, and, and even though they're not doing trade law, they can still apply those skill sets. Yeah. So that, that's something that's a, that's a great thing to have. And something like also that I want to mention about this is that I think maybe Colombia is the same, but in Mexico, although right now there's a bit of oral proceedings, but mm -hmm. like the way that you do the moot courts is completely 
it was alien at that time in the Mexican legal system. Yeah. It was something more that I would see in the movies, like in the U.S. It's like a normal proceeding, and that's what I thought being a lawyer was. Mm. <laughs> and having the experience in Mexico was not really that. So this would have offered the opportunity to see something like that yeah. for countries where the system is different. Mm. Yes. But uh, anyway, so after that, like you were like, okay, so I'm gonna go full time. So, so after that, I had a small IATUS where I worked in a law firm doing capital markets and financial regulation. Um, and after that, I went on to work with Colombia's Ministry of Trade, particularly doing this uh, WTO dispute settlement. And, and back then, Colombia was um, a heavy FDA negotiator. So I was super lucky to have been part of the Colombia's uh, FTA negotiation team. And uh, it was also a great experience. Um, also, the mood court was something that was very close to the people working at the ministry because Colombia had just finished uh, one of the, yeah, I think one of the first WTO disputes they had as a respondent, they lost <laughs> and they and they recognized that they didn't have the capacity at the ministry to, to handle these type of disputes. So they wanted to build that capacity and as, as a consequence, they hired, uh, they hired um, people coming out from, from that mood core experience. So my coach, Miguel, ended up working at the ministry and then um, uh, he left and then I replaced him. And uh, my that's where I met Mauricio Salcedo. So this was like uh, the reason why you worked there was because exclusively because of your experience in the mood court that the ministry wanted like to get that, uh, to capitalize on that. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 Because if, if, from their perspective, it was it was a great uh, from the cost benefit perspective, because they were used to having had to pay an American law firm tons of money for a developing country, and so the pros the prospect of having or hiring somebody uh, that already knew the stuff and that already knew the field was super enticing to them and it was a great experience i have super fond memories of of my of my work there and um and i still have excellent friends from my from my years at the ministry so when you were there you were doing both like uh, like legal in disputes and also in trade in fta negotiations yeah, so, so after that, Colombia didn't have any active disputes, but they chose to, part to become third parties yeah. in cases because they thought it was, and it's, it's a great idea to participate like that because you get to learn a lot and you don't have the... Uh, the burden. The, yeah, the burden of having a dispute or of, of having to hire a lawyer, but you can train your people there. So that's something that uh, from, from the Colombian standpoint worked pretty well. So being third parties in many disputes, uh, it taught many people in the ministry how to um, deal with them and, and particularly to lose the fear of, of a dispute. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that the, the, that is a good argument and actually I've heard Colombia say it here at the, at the WTO repeatedly about the capacity building yes. uh, aspects of participating as a third party. Mm. Um, and that's where you work with Mauricio. You, Mauricio was your supervisor, your boss? Yes, he was, <laughs> he was, yeah, he was like my supervisor there. We, we had another boss, um, but yeah, I, I worked pretty closely with him and um, we got to travel a lot negotiating so fantastic experience um, and also it allowed me to see another side of trade law which is back then there was this debate between FTAs, RTAs and WTO and I, I don't know if you recall but basically uh, uh, the word out there was that the WTO was was basically going to end because everybody was signing FTAs and RTAs and and seeing how an FTA is done you really understand that it's it's basically WTO law and and you build from the covered agreements and then you try to expand and that's where the WTO plus disciplines come WTO um, particularly what, what I think in TRIPS they had that uh, terminology um, and and at the same time it's different right because you, you get to see what are the real trade interests of a country yeah. and you start seeing how not everything is trade right it's there's a lot of politics involved and there's a lot of diplomacy good old-fashioned diplomacy that comes into place Yeah. So that, that's also, I think, a very grounding exercise of understanding the place of trade in the world uh, and, and seeing that trade is much more than just uh, commerce, but it's also about building relationships among countries, creating alliances and, um, and, and securing peace too. Yeah, yeah actually, well, Thank you for mentioning that. In my classes, I <coughs> usually point out that the WTO is really successful in maintaining peace, which is something that sometimes we take for granted. But yeah. that was one of the original goals when the GATT was created. And it's still a reason that I think that, that the world has some stability because of the peace Yes. Uh, that sometimes we take for granted. Yes, and, 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 and also going back to this economic side, it, it's something that is forgotten about uh, the whole GATT WTO system is that important architects of this system were economists. Yeah. Were economists that saw the need to guarantee commercial flows as a way of avoiding starvation, as a way of avoiding problems between nations that will sometimes end up in a situation of conflict. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's not, and, and that when I started learning about the deep history of uh, WTO GATT, you, you can definitely see how the system is, is a very interesting collage of disciplines because it's not only law, although certainly law has a very important place, but it's also about trade diplomats It's also about economists, it's also about engineers, it, it's also about um, uh, 
people with different skill sets that come here and and I think that's also why the system has been so successful because behind the whole legal architecture you have strong grounding on economic incentives that allow the system to continue working yeah. because every there are incentives for nations and members to to have a multilateral trading system even beyond just a mere legalese and legal technicalities but I, I feel that sometimes those things are forgotten yes yes you're <laughs> right uh, but like sometimes I, I think that we should go back and read like the, all of this history to remind ourselves mm. the, the, the underpinnings of everything But um, another aspect that you mentioned that you were traveling a lot, and that's something that I've seen because during the pandemic, we were doing everything virtually. And like, that's when you realize the importance of the, of the human relationships. Uh, you're talking about relationships between member states, if you're talking about the multilateral yep. system, or in bilateral FTAs between states. But also the relationship, the personal relationship between the people actually negotiating them. Yes. And I think that for that, like you were saying, like, I don't know if you can talk a bit about that, like when you were traveling and meeting all of these people yep. and learning other cultures, le learning, understanding them, understanding their motivations, personal and also from the country. Yeah. Um, so it, it sounds like one of those cliche phrases that you see around. But it really is all about people, because people are the one taking the decisions. Um, so once you understand that, you enter into a whole different realm of the importance of culture, the importance of the background, and as you said, the importance of having a good relationship. And quite frankly, that's something that is very challenging, particularly when you're coming from or when, when two cultures meet. So, yeah, I think uh, we I think I distinctively remember when we were finalizing negotiations with Korea on, on the FTA that Colombia had with the Republic of Korea and um, It was fascinating seeing how different uh, a Latin country could be from a, an Asian country. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, th I think we, we had very difficult negotiations with them. Uh, but at the end, you, you could really see how collegiality arose. And, uh, but it all comes from a place of understanding the other and uh, being able to listen to the other and also being able to respect differences and uh, allow differences to exist while searching for a common ground yeah. and, and you see that here also at the WTO you know we 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 are a very diverse group of people coming from very different cultures and one of the biggest uh, assets this organization has is precisely that, that you have people uh, that are able to have um, points of views that are informed for, uh, with so many different backgrounds. Yes. 
and that's something that is um, sometimes also undervalued yeah. uh, but uh, but that's also the key of any of any group of nations coming together you, you need to have a balance between finding a common ground but also accepting that you might have different point of views and, and accepting heterogeneity which is yeah it's, it's a clash sometimes and then after your experience at the, at the ministry like you decided to pursue further studies or is there something that i'm skipping no <laughs> no I, i think that that's it so so basically i i also lectured uh, ah, back yeah, at, yeah. at my university a couple of years so I was involved not only in the in the mood board but also lecturing in international economic law. This was like at the time at the same time that you were working uh, yes. at the ministry. Yes. So you when you were teaching like you you were also trying to to teach them like the real aspects of the negotiation not only what's in theory. Well, it was an undergrad course, so we basically just had uh, the framework of the system. So, and, and that takes time explaining and go over the covered agreements. Uh, but I think we did have at the end like a moot court exercise. Okay. I think that was a final exam. So, yeah. And, and after that, yeah, I decided to, to pursue an, another master's degree. So I left the ministry to do that. Um, And after the masters, I joined the WTO. Yeah. How was your? How was the process? Like, I mean, you were already like deeply involved in the in the world trade environment from the perspective of Colombia. Was it an easy transition? No. Well, actually, <laughs> when I went to do my masters, I wanted to do something different. <laughs> ah, so you you were like. Yeah, so, so I, I was looking to, to expand my, my, my horizons and perhaps uh, uh, try to do something different. Uh, but... Um, Trade pulled you. <laughs> yes, you know, and, and, and th this was something like that, a friend, <laughs> that, that a friend from, from the ministry told me back then. Uh, I remember she, she telling me, look, Once you enter into the trade world, it has such a gravitational pull that you try to go out, but you will end up there again, perhaps in a different capacity. And I say, no, you know, I'm going to try to do something different. I, I, I didn't really pay much attention to that, but yeah. So what, I, what, did, you, what did you want to explore other than trade? So I, I wanted to go back to... <sighs> to the economic side, but from, from the lawyer's perspective. Uh, that's also a, a decision that I think most of people doing a double degree have to make at some point, particularly in law. You, 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 you have to come to a point where you have to decide whether you want to be much more a lawyer or much more an economist. Because it's difficult to find jobs out there that actually combine both of them. You, are, you actually only work in a primary capacity and then you, you can bring the other discipline to it. So I wanted to go back to, to, to do something perhaps in international financial regulation. Back then it was, uh, the world was, was still Uh, living the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis and as a consequence of that a couple of international 
quasi-international bodies were created. So the G20 had uh, like a specific uh, arm, the Financial Stability Board, yeah. which was in charge of, um, of overseeing changes in financial regulation to address what had happened back in 08. And back then there was a professor in the university that I went to my LLM that had this, um, well, not, not a theory, but had this um, field of study of international financial law as soft law. Uh, and basically just being a, a, a bundle of non, um, of, of recommendations that were not enforceable. And, and how the incentives made every country cooperate to apply those, those, uh, those uh, non-binding recommendations. So, so this idea of incentives comes from economics? Oh no, of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, well it, it also in, in law, uh, like in, in, the, in the literature of law and economics, there is this um, notion of relational contracts. Uh, and... Um, which comes pretty much from game theory and uh, folk theorem, whereby uh, once you have interactions, repeated interactions among players, there's, there are incentives for them to comply with the agreement because you're going to keep seeing them. And, and so th there are ways in which, in which you can uh, create uh, or, or improve the incentives so that um, the contract or the law will be fulfilled without the parties having to go to a court. Mm -hmm. So, and that's something very, that's something that you see all days in business, you know. Businesses actually work on trust, on cooperation. And, and that was also something that was fascinating for me when I studied economics. I was very much into game theory. Uh, and and this this um, difference between cooperative and non-cooperative games, and ba basically the prisoner dilemma. I, mean, yeah. I think m most of people have heard about that. It's an example of non-cooperative games, where there is an equilibrium there, and people will tend to uh, end up in that dilemma. But the games. And, and that's one of the key elements that you learn from game theory is that the gains that parties people have by falling into this non-cooperative equilibrium are less than those achieved had they cooperated. So in, and, and basically the solution for going into cooperation implies somehow repeated interactions and, and some incentive structure that allows uh, the people participating in the game, so as to speak, to cooperate. And, and, and that's something that, that is coming very much to the forefront. Uh, and, and that's something that perhaps people tend to uh, forget that economics is not only about competition, it's not only about survival of the fittest, but actually one of the biggest branches of economics is co co cooperating gains. 
and, and how once there is cooperation, when once there is trust, everything just goes bigger and uh, gains are, are bigger. Yeah. So you, you seem to be like really interested in this, like in your personal life, when you have a problem, do you, do you realize that you think more like a lawyer or like an economist <laughs> or, or a, a combination of both? Though I, I do have to say that I do think a lot like an economist when it comes to like day-to-day -day decision. And, and that's, that's perhaps the biggest uh, gift you can have from an economic training. Uh, and, and that is decision making because ba basically economics, uh, another way of seeing it is it's all about decision making and that's basically what you learn in, in a microeconomics class 101 which is consumers or people have to take a decision, have to, and, uh, you can throw fancy terms in that, have to maximize an utility function subject to a constraint, a budgetary constraint. And that's pretty much basically life. You have to make a decision knowing that you have limited resources, knowing that uh, your time is limited, knowing that resources uh, as people, as uh, capital, as money are limited. So you have to, you, you try to make the best decision given what you have. So yeah, when it comes to decision making, I do feel much more and as an economist. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think uh, we lawyers and, and lawyers generally in, among other disciplines have like a not so good reputation because yeah. we, we tend to do we tend to complicate things and we tend to, to make things uh, more legal, which sometimes is more difficult. Um, not, not everybody, right? But uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's like, like you're saying, a generalization, but like I see it repeatedly. And like what you were saying, I actually advise my daughters not to become lawyers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, your father, I guess, he didn't tell you not to become a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I think it's it's also about how you're trained in law. You know, I think once you understand that law is but a tool and that you are trying to do much more with it, then um, it doesn't become a straitjacket and it doesn't become uh, the legal advice doesn't need to become a a document full of caveats and warning. It can be also a very positive thing, but it, it depends again on the people. It, yeah. it depends again on, on the person behind that. Uh, but no, you know, so cer certainly I, I do... Law, law is a very powerful tool, um, but it at the end depends on how you use it. It's, and this is one of like, one of those classical Socratical debates of, uh, whether rhetorics are good or bad in themselves. And, and basically, it's, no, it's just a tool and how you use them. Same was, goes for law. And the same goes for economics, you know, because that, that, that's also one of the, like the interactions of the influence of law coming into my economic training is you start to see that there, there is a lot of wiggle room even in economics. Mm. So people think, oh, the number is so, it's a number, you, you cannot, there's no flexibility, but there's so much, so many ways in which once you understand the numbers and the economics behind things, 
how they can be formed and they are pliable and flexible that that's that's fascinating to see no and i'm not saying that being a lawyer is bad but uh, i would want my daughters to do something else <laughs> <laughs> but um so how so you were doing all of this uh, studying in your master's degree and what pulled you back then specifically uh so i it, it was somebody from from the secretariat that uh, that uh, I had known because of uh, the Elsa mood court. So, so again, the mood court. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, exactly. So again, the mood court. So I, I, was, I was doing my LLM and then somebody told me, hey, there's going to be an opening. You should apply to see, uh, to see. And I applied, I didn't get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I think that that's also a different, uh, well, the backstory of many things is that it's it's quite competitive to get here. I applied a couple of times and I didn't get in. Um, and this is perhaps also a recommendation for many people out there to not get discouraged. You know, you will most likely not get it the first time, nor the second, nor the third, maybe the fourth or the fifth. Um, and and yeah, so getting inside or having a position at the WTO was not easy uh, so but I think I just kept applying you know I just kept applying and after a while I was offered a like small contract and then I, I was able to 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 progress but it certainly took me a couple of years to get in you know it, it wasn't like yeah I applied the first time and then yeah I'm, I mean no and in the meantime like when you were not getting it what were you doing like because no, you so had finished your studies, or this was while you were doing your studies. So wh that was while I was doing my studies. So ba basically, even before that, I, uh, uh, when I was working with the ministry, I had already presented for a job offering, and I didn't get it. Uh, and Actually, then, like, that is so, so good that you're talking about, because like, people sometimes, people who've had like, a successful career, they think that everything went according to plan, yeah. and like, you got everything, but... In most instances, in my instance, and whenever I talk to people, it's full of opportunities that didn't go the way they expected. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, I don't know how to put it. It's perseverance, but it's also, you know, I, I guess just flowing with life too, you know, uh, um, you you tend to think and you're trained to think that you have to sit down after you end law school and you have to make a detailed plan of what you have where you're gonna go right and the, the typical job interview question of where do you see yourself in five to ten years oh yeah no so i'm gonna do this and then that and actually life has plans for you that you have no idea will take place and at least in my experience that has been life particularly professionally speaking Opportunities have arose out of the blue from nowhere. Things that I wanted to do never came through. And, um, and, and like this, like many times I applied here uh, to work at the WTO, I didn't get in. And it was only when I said, oh, you know, I, I had enough. I'm going <laughs> to do something different. I'm going to do this exam again. But yeah, I don't have my hopes up. But boom, and I got it. So it's, it's like, I don't know, it's like one of those moments where you, 
really let go of something that it comes your way but uh, but certainly there is a lot of um, time involved so to your question I applied again in the middle of my master's I didn't get anything and then at the end I had finished my master I was studying to for the bar exam in the US and uh, I I got an email like, hey, you want to come to another interview to 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 get a position? And I said, mm, you know, I'm kind of busy. I'm, I'm studying the bar, which is do which was very time consuming. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll think I can leave on a Thursday, have the exam a Friday, and come back a Saturday or or a Wednesday. And it was super. Um, super interesting because I at the end I couldn't I almost couldn't get back into the States because I had a problem with my visa <laughs> so uh, because I had a special type of visa uh, J1 visa for studies and, uh, uh, and basically I had one paper that had been revalidated so I could come in but the visa itself uh, was not so when I came to the to the U.S., I almost couldn't get in. I was stopped at the border. I was put into the the small room that you hear in the movies, and I was there for a couple of hours. You know, unfortunately, I was able to explain my case to the authorities, and there was a legal way for me to get in. So, so you use your argumentative skills that you learned. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was I was pretty scared back then. <laughs> No, but but yeah, you know, I, I was just honest. I was saying, look, this is an honest mistake. I'm actually studying for the bar, and I remember that the, one of the customs officers told me, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm also studying for to become a lawyer, so it's super interesting that you're doing this, such and such. And then there was a, a way of getting in uh, legally, uh, so I had that. But yeah. So ju just to say that it's in the moment that you less expect it. But you made it to your bar exam. Yeah, no, I made and it. You, yeah. And you passed the bar. I passed. <laughs> yeah, I passed. Uh, I <laughs> also, you know, I remember that flying for for the bar exam. It's I, in Buffalo. Or? So it, it, you, you could either take it in New York City or Buffalo. Yeah. And uh, I had to take it in Buffalo, so I said. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna arrive there a day earlier, so uh, so I'm fully fresh. My other friends were arriving like the no like I was coming in two days before, they were coming in the day before, and my flight got canceled in midair, so we had to stop in Philadelphia. Cancelled in midair? Well, because I, no, they they had to. Uh, there was a scale in Philadelphia. Okay, yeah, yeah. You before going to Buffalo, yeah, yeah, like a stopover, and then it was cancelled there at midnight. And they told us, "Tough luck, buddies. Uh, your flight will be rescheduled in the morning." But the airport was closed, so I had to sleep in the airport. 
and say, no, how is this possible? And the day after you have this exam. And the day after I have the exam, <laughs> you know, say, no, but this is exactly not what I planned. And, actually, and my luggage didn't come with me. So I had no clothing when I got to Buffalo. I said, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> but at the end, everything turned out to be, to be okay. And, and I think that's also, well, for me personally, something important about trusting life. Yeah, and about um, well, yeah, not not resisting it and uh, and and trying to adapt yourself to what comes your way and remember being nimble and flexible. You know? And another thing that I want to talk about is like I understand you have a like an interest in music and yeah. singing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you seem to be a man of many interests. <laughs> mm. Which I actually, I really, this is something that I try to tell people because people think that you're a lawyer, you only talk about law, but actually the richer that your life is, the better professional that you are also. Yes. So if you have like many interests, that is not a negative. That can enrich your life itself and you're also your profession. Yeah. Yeah, no, for, for sure, you know, and, and I think it's also a way of keeping yourself mentally sane to like doing different stuff, things that nurture not only the mind, but also the spirit. And, um, and certainly singing has a place in that. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what type of uh, singing? Is it classical? So, yeah, so it's, it's basically classical, but it's, it's nothing too serious. It's... Um, It's even below amateur singing, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was in my choir back at, uh, at, I think, elementary school and uh, I got disconnected from music for many years, 20 years or more. And then at work at the WTO, there was a choir so that I incidentally bumped into them and they told me, hey, why don't you sing? I started singing with them. And then I... It's like an official choir of the WTO? Yes, it's called Trade Tones. Oh, I didn't know about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then I moved into having, like, uh, taking lessons to sing. And yeah, that's something that I enjoy doing. But yeah, it's nothing professional, nothing, nothing uh, serious. It's just fun. Uh, well, uh, it has been a great conversation. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to talk about that we missed. No, I think I think that's that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground, and I think that your story also, like even this that you mentioned about how life sometimes goes a different direction, that is something that I feel that uh, is something that more people should be aware of because sometimes you feel mm -hmm. that. Uh, You didn't get a job and that's the end of it, but it's just one of the many things that you're going to have to live through. Yes, no, for sure. Life, life keeps, life keeps going on even if you don't believe in life. So uh, something will come up, right? It's just, um, yeah, you have to be flexible and... Um, And yeah, life is, you, 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 try, you try to plan for life, but then again, life has plans of its own for you. 
and with this I think it's it's all about finding that balance between planning because certainly planning does have a place you, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. you can try to to have goals in life but at the same time you need to recognize that some of those goals might not come to pass and what's going to happen with you if you don't get them and then I think that's really where the key is how you react and how you 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 Think, deal with things. Thinking on your feet, which you were saying about the mood court. Yep. So it applies everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Juan Pablo. Oh, thank you, Rodolfo. Thank you. This was the Rodolfo Rivas Project. I hope you loved it. Can you dig it?